it always matters that a person is wrongly convicted. It doesn't matter if that person is doing life. It doesn't matter if that person is doing 14 days in prison or not in prison at all. You know, wrongful convictions um, are the cancer of any justice system. So you're in an appeal court. There's oak panels and wigs and gowns and all this kind of stuff. And you are probably overwhelmed with how complex everything must be given all of the pomp. And that's fair enough. And so you really need somebody to help you. You need a legal representative, but maybe you can't afford one. Most people in that situation would turn to legal aid. If a person's innocence or guilt is on the line in an appeal, and it's the argument has merit that their lawyers have to run, I would have thought legal aid in every case should run that appeal if the person qualifies on the basis of no income, etc. The argument from legal aid seems to also be if a person is doing a long stint in prison, it doesn't matter if they get wrongly convicted of another criminal offence. Uh, it does matter. It always matters that a person is wrongly convicted. I'm James Milsom, and this is The Rule Book. How's that? Yeah, that's good. Sounds all right? So that is... Greg Barnes, I'm a barrister. I'm a, and also a spokesman for the Australian Lawyers Alliance. So the first thing, the subject of this story, uh, we're going to refer to him as the client. And that's for now. That'll develop, but, and you'll understand why I'm doing that, well, as it develops. Anyway, the client is serving a life term in prison. He is then charged with three counts of rape. He defends each of those charges. They're against um, separate women, and he loses on each one. He's found guilty of these three separate counts of rape. His legal team thinks, hmm, there's something up with that, and so they have a look into it. The legal team included a couple of barristers, Saul Holt QC and Paul Smallwood. Paul Smallwood helps us with this story. And he picks it up just as the client has been found guilty. He was subsequently sentenced by the presiding judge uh, who imposed uh, a new non-parole period of 43 years. So, in effect, the client was already serving a life term. He was allowed to apply for parole after 35 years. Now he's still serving a life term, but it's 43 years until he's allowed to apply for parole. But, as Greg says... Um, he certainly he's a, he's a person, I think, in his early 40s. He won't see um, the outside of a prison for decades. So, the client's legal team had a very close look at the trials and decided, yes, there's definitely something amiss here in at least one or two of the trials, and so there's got to be an appeal. Uh, upon reaching the conclusion that uh, appeals against the convictions recorded in two of the three trials and the sentence were reasonably arguable, uh, we made an application uh, for legal aid funding. And the process of applying for legal aid, in Victoria at least, is you have to say really two things, and there's a big form containing them, but the two things really are you can't afford your own lawyer, the client is in prison for potentially life, and so it's fair to say he can't, and you've got a good case to run. His lawyers are saying that he definitely does. So they applied on that basis, and legal aid... Refused the application. And they gave it to an independent reviewer, 
just to double check that they made the decision correctly, that they really shouldn't give the client money uh, for lawyers. The independent reviewer was... Former judge of the county court, John Nixon. Okay, quick early sum up. The client's legal team had demonstrated that the client didn't have money to pay for a lawyer and that he had a good case to run, at least one good case to run. And Legal Aid had said, no, we're not going to fund this. Now, we're going to go deeper into that a little later. But for now, I just need to tell you that the client's legal team launched an appeal against Legal Aid's decision. So they were appealing to the Court of Appeal to appeal to the Court of Appeal. If you wouldn't mind just... um telling me your name and uh, job? Sure. I'm Fiona McLeod. I'm Senior Counsel at the Victorian Bar. I was asked to act on behalf of Legal Aid in response to a challenge to a decision to uh, not provide funding. So the question for the appeal, should Legal Aid actually have to fund the client's criminal appeal? Key to the decision was something contained in the report of John Nixon, that's the independent reviewer that we heard about earlier that Legal Aid got to double-check their work. Nixon considered that it was likely his appeals against his convictions recorded in two trials um, were, in the independent reviewer's own opinion, likely to succeed. He went on to say that if that prediction is correct, then those convictions would be quashed. So Legal Aid had it from Nixon that the client had at least two out of three good appeals, as in it doesn't mean that they're necessarily winners, it just means that they're cases that really need to be heard. So it begs the question, why no Legal Aid funding for the client? A little later in his relatively short statement of reasons, the independent reviewer concluded that uh, there was an important public interest in ensuring public confidence in Victoria Legal Aid's stewardship of the funds, which are limited. Public confidence. Let's dig a little bit deeper into Legal Aid's decision-making to understand that a little better. Now, there is a right to legal aid in the case of most, uh, if you're um, um, impoverished, there's a right to legal aid in criminal trials where there's a certain uh, criminal sentence likely. So he definitely had that in this trial, but there is no right to legal aid on an appeal. And uh, legal aid looked at, weighed it up and said no. Um, there was some political discussion around whether he should have legal aid or not in the press and um, commentary uh, that um, may or may not have been noticed by politicians. But from legal aid's perspective, the question was, um, given other demands on legal aid, is this an appropriate use of funds? Heavy demand on legal aid services is, you know, almost universal. We've seen documentaries and newspaper articles about lawyers acting pro bono, which is a piece of Latin that I think we all actually know, for free, for clients, and it's it's an issue. And Legal Aid and Nixon and everyone, we're all aware of it. And there is a crisis in Legal Aid. You know, we have a report from the Productivity Commission that says the federal government has to contribute at least and immediately another $200 million. 
uh, to legal aid, the legal aid sector. And then longer term, you know, the whole system needs a total of about 350 million to get it back on a sustainable basis. And the ones getting turned away from legal aid daily are people losing their houses, losing their jobs, losing access to welfare, access to their kids. You know, that that issue about the tens of thousands of people who are turned away is um, under legal aid's charter a valid consideration for it as to how it allocates its resources. So from legal aid's perspective, it has to be a responsible um, entity in weighing up which things to fund and which to not. And in fact, you would criticise it if you said it should only fund glamorous cases or, you know, this isn't glamorous, but high profile cases. It should have criteria that it can apply across the board. And um, uh, merit is one important factor, but it's not the only factor. Something to pull out there is that it's just not enough to have a good case, to have a case that, that needs to be run. There's more to it, and that's where this public confidence thing might come in. Nixon agreed that the convictions of the client on these rape cases, or some of them, weren't quite right, and we're going to have a bit of a deeper look into them, but first, let's just learn a tiny bit more about the client. This case got huge publicity. He became the most reviled uh, human being in Victoria. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode of The Rule Book, then why not subscribe? You'll be one of the first to hear all new episodes and it helps others find this excellent podcast. You might even like to support the hard work that goes into putting this podcast together by heading over to therulebook.xyz and donating your dollars. For as little as $2, you can help to make this excellent thing happen. And the more you donate, the more you have access to. Extended episodes, Q&A, it could all be yours. Head on over now to therulebook.xyz and follow the link through. Fears are intensifying for the Police welfare. Pouring over that video this morning. Police have charged a 40-year-old There's a provision in the Victorian legal aid legislation, which is uh, an appalling uh, provision in my view because it effectively allows legal aid to take into account the public sentiment or public opinion. Um, legal aid would disagree with that, but legal aid can take into account under this provision what's called you know, the public interest. Well, that's code for, uh, will we fund, you know, this is the most unpopular defendant uh, in Victorian criminal history in recent times, uh, will we fund this person? And it seemed to me that what legal aid had done was to, in effect, be um, Cowered by some very bad media that it had, uh, the Herald Sun, which is a, the, the largest selling newspaper in Australia, a Murdoch newspaper, had written a headline, Evil Aid. Legal Aid denies that um, it was uh, subject to um, media or public influence. Um, my own view is I can't see any other way in which Legal Aid could have refused aid. These three cases that the client is fighting to appeal... They're all ID cases. That means that nobody is necessarily disputing that the complainants in each case were raped. What's in dispute is who did it. In one of these cases, the complainant had identified the client at a police photo board identification setup. And Greg's about to liberally use the client's name. I'm going to do a bit of censoring here. As I said, just for now. Uh, but she had 
of course, seen saturation coverage of both on Facebook and in the media. And therefore, uh, by the time she got to the photo board identification, it was, there was real danger that she would identify simply on the basis that this is a very familiar face. It's called the displacement effect. And it's a very important point that the court made. And that's what another reason why the appeal was very, very important. It's very important for police, uh, investigators, and defence to know what the rules are around people who are high-profile criminal suspects whose face appears in the media or on Facebook and then are identified by an individual uh, in a photo board or some other form of identification parade. And that, dear listener, is one of the reasons I've been resisting telling you the client's name. The complainant in that case had, as we heard, identified the client on the basis probably of having seen him on the news and in newspapers, etc. He was somewhat notorious at the time and maybe even now. Legal Aid also knew whose application they were considering. They knew that the client was applying and they knew obviously a lot about him. They had funded a whole bunch of different legal cases for him before. I'm doing my best to de-identify the client so that at least we can be having a look at this from a different angle we are thinking about it as just a person not this particular person So the client serving a life term in prison can't get out for at least 43 years and even then he has to apply for parole. There's no guarantee that he's going to get it. He's then charged with these three additional counts of rape. Uh, We've heard about the circumstances of one of them pretty briefly, but we've heard about it to the extent that we can at least see that there's a case to argue, that, that there is a legal argument to be made. So let's return to the Court of Appeal where... Paul Smallwood, the barrister who's been assisting us to tell this story, and his uh, senior counsel, Saul Holt, are arguing that the client should at least have the right to legal aid so that he can launch his appeals against these other convictions. And the Court of Appeal agreed. They said... Uh, That the decision to refuse legal assistance was unreasonable. Um and consequently the decision to refuse funding was uh, quashed uh, and the matter was uh, returned to Victoria Legal Aid with an order that uh, the application be considered and decision made according to law. So it was a win, but it didn't win the client the right to get legal aid. Nobody can force legal aid to give the money in this case. The judge in the Court of Appeal thought that the strength of the criminal appeals was a bigger deal than legal aid had had made it, but... But he wasn't telling legal aid what to do. He was just saying you need to consider it again because you didn't adequately explore these grounds. So legal aid had another look at it and they sent it to another independent reviewer and... Uh, Again, legal assistance was refused. A reasonable question in your mind at this point in time would be, "Eh, seems like there's more to the story here. 
and you're right. More story next time on The Rulebook. Thank you for listening to The Rulebook. This story was produced by me, James Milson, uh, music by me and other things as well. Thank you very much to Fiona McLeod, to Paul Smallwood and to Greg Barnes for all of their time and help uh, in being interviewed for this story. Tweet at Rulebook Podcast if you want to get in touch. You can also pledge uh, via Patreon to give a vote of support um, through financial means. Trixie Studio.